0: Hey folks, welcome to the House of Krause, I'm Richard Krause. Come on in, get a seat at the bar, pour yourself a Negroni, and sit back and listen to this fascinating conversation with Julie Taymor. Now if you don't recognize the name, you've probably never seen The Lion King on Broadway. She directed the original stage play, she set the template for it, It currently plays all over the world. It is still playing on Broadway. She became the first woman to win the Tony Award for directing a musical. Uh, She also won a Tony Award for original costume design. Uh, She hit the heights with the Lion King, and I guess saw the other side of that kind of success with uh, the show Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark. Turn Off the Dark is one of the most legendarily troubled shows in Broadway history. We don't talk about that here, though. Uh, It's a fascinating story. Books have been written about this production. It's worth looking into. Here we're talking about an off-Broadway production of A Midsummer Night's Dream, which was eventually turned into a big screen production fascinating film. Julie Taymor brings her trademark style to it. It is a movie that brims with life. It's a movie that even though the text is 500 years old, it feels fresh. It feels alive. It feels current. And it's something that you want to check out. I discovered this interview. We did it a couple of years ago. And I kind of forgot about it. I discovered it and listened to it. We were in a coffee shop. There's a little hustle and bustle happening behind us. But I just found her so engaging. Uh, During the conversation, we talk all about A Midsummer Night's Dream. I tell her a story about how seeing that show in about 1971, I think. I saw a production of it with Puck being lowered from the ceiling on a rope. And I was a kid. And that blew my mind. That made me fall in love with theater. I can trace it back, my love of theater, to the Neptune Theater in Halifax, Nova Scotia, to the early 70s when Puck came down and said, if we spirits have offended, think but this and all is mended on a rope hanging from his heels. It was amazing stuff. There's even more amazing stuff in Julie Taymor's film of A Midsummer Night's Dream. So we talk about that. We talk about uh, how Shakespeare doesn't date How it always seems timely and yet timeless. We talk about her saying and her idea that sometimes film can be better than theater. That's quite a statement coming from a woman who's made her life and her career in the theater. Anyway, Julie Taymor, I enjoyed the hell out of having this conversation with her. I hope you enjoy listening to it. Midsummer Night's Dream is beautiful. Mm -hmm. It's such a beautiful uh, retelling of it. It was one of the, It was significant for me uh, because it was one of the first shows of any sort that I saw, and I remember so vividly Puck coming down from the uh, upside down from uh-huh. the ceiling. You know, if these spirits have offended, all oh, that yeah. stuff. You know, Bravo. think about this, and, and all it's and, We and
1: all, from our childhood, I think. I think all, it was the first play I ever saw. Saw it here in Canada at oh, the really? Strap. Yes, and I it was the first play I played Hermia when I was seven.
0: Wow. So this has (laughs) resonance for you. Completely.
1: I mean, I think, I think that's, it's the great Shakespeare for young audiences. Because it's, it's, did you get the behind the scenes thing that he sent you? Did he give you? Yes, I did. Yeah. Okay. If you haven't looked at it, there's the most adorable end. It's 15 minutes, but the last little girl at the end is so cute. She was in it and she's talking about love, how confusing love is. (laughs) I enjoyed working with these 17 kids because watching them every day, and they were in 80 performances, eight shows a week wow. after school. We had no understudies. So they would come and watching them learn about love, c- cynical love, <laughs> drugs, humor, Shakespeare, and how to how to work together was part of the most exciting, it was one of the most exciting parts of doing the, the production.
0: Well, I mean, there's so many facets to it. I mean, I, I, I hadn't realized that. Uh, just the beauty of sitting back and just watching this. And I love the handheld camera work because so often when you see Shakespeare presented on stage, it's stayed and it's very... And I thought that really brought it alive. That and the mechanicals who were speaking with their Brooklynese accents and the whole thing. You know, it, 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 for me, makes the the show, uh, which is already, I think, probably... The most one of the most successful accessible, of accessible well. yeah, um, even more so accessible. And on the on the big screen, the handheld camera work really brought it to life.
1: I'm so excited. I haven't seen it with an audience. We saw it with a, one preview. We were still finishing it, and it was all out of sync. So I haven't seen it yet. I'm so excited yeah. to see it today. I mean, I really, I, I'm, I'm thrilled. It's a, it's a nice a print, I think. I think "Yeah, a no, yeah. beautiful print. Yeah. It's a
0: beautiful print, and, or what I saw. Whatever, DCP, the yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, <laughs> they do don't do prints anymore. We're so old now. That's the I thing, know, right? the yeah. Um, so tell me a little bit about revitalizing something like this. I mean, Titus Andronicus, of course. I mean, you've got a yeah. long history with looking at Shakespeare and, and doing something with it, do, turning it on its head a little bit. Um, why this one? Why right. now?
1: Well, this is a two-part, because I, I inaugurated a new theater in Brooklyn, Theatre for New Audience, with this show, and I had done, two years ago exactly, I had done readings of about four or five Shakespeare, trying to decide when I was offered to open the new theater. This is the company, Theatre for New Audience, that I've worked with for 35 years. I did, I did actually design uh, Midsummer Night Stream for somebody else tw- 15 years or 20 years ago. But then I directed Titus Andronicus, Taming of the Shrew, The Tempest three times, and now this, and Green Bird, you know, a non-Shakespeare. So it was an honor to open the theater. I did everything from readings of, you know, I don't know, I don't maybe Macbeth and uh, you know, some really dark things. And I thought, you know what, this is a celebration. And Midsummer Night's Dream is about. It was made for a wedding. At least that's what we're told. Don't you love that, that you're gonna yeah. do this play and have everybody fall apart. You've got one, I think it's genius, the one night before you're getting married, all your worst nightmares will right. happen. Right. You'll fall out of love, you'll get drugged, you'll fall in love with somebody else, you'll fall apart. You'll, you know, everything goes wrong. But ultimately, it goes right. And this, this is such a blessing for a wedding that I thought, this is how you bless a new theater you make that marriage between the audience and the actors, the audience and the artists. So, And it has been, a, a, I think at the New Amsterdam, where we did Lion King, ironically, when that theater was being re- renovated and by Disney, I ha- didn't know them. I actually went to them and said, I'm interested, because it had been restored originally, or made originally, the first show was a Midsummer Night's Dream, excuse my English, but Midsummer Night's Dream, 1920s and 30s, so I went to Disney. I said, Could I do a Midsummer Night's Dream here? They said, No, but would you do The Lion King? Wow, so it's a very funny, it does twisted. Keep yes, up. it does. And I had really, after that, I had avoided. Many people said, Why don't you do Dream? And I said, oh, it's, it's almost too perfect. And, you know what I mean? Oh, God, visual, love, fairies.
0: Well, it's the most famous. Fantastic, fantastical-looking fantastical looking of all the plays. I
1: right, think. Yeah. I think you're right. So I avoided it, and I, it, I finally said, okay, if I'm going to do this, I have to, I have to crack the nut of what is that magical fairy world. How am I going to do that? And I really didn't want to do the sort of. It's not that it's obligatory, but what people would expect, which is puppets. Yeah. So, so I went deeply into what is, what are the two worlds? It's really nature versus nurture. It's really nature versus control and rules because what is a marriage but a set of rules of codifying love and contracts. So all that beautiful first love that is from 12 or 13, the Romeo and Juliet, Pyramus and Thisbe, all of a sudden is a girl is going to die in almost the first scene in the play if she doesn't marry her father's choice. That's a great way to start a comedy.
0: The the old Athenian law.
1: So I thought, I'm going to do the fairies with children. Not that that's a new concept, but I'm not going to do fairies with wings and cute little tutus, even though no one does that anymore. I want raw... The, I call them the rude elementals, <laughs> because you've got the rude mechanicals. Yeah, yeah. What I wanted is prepubescent children who are before the rules come in. Right. And they will not just be the fairy world, but they will be the forest. Because on a bare stage, you know, what you saw here, you've got audience th- wrapping around and three close. sides. And, clo- and
0: right. And very close. Oh in my the God. film, you see, it almost looks at one point, there was a few people I noticed with you, know, you could see their playbills.
1: Yes. And oh loud. yes, the, definitely. And they ha- they felt the fabric that was going, <laughs> which you don't get in, in cinema, but you get many other things. Um, so I wanted the children's energy, wild. That's why I wanted a hundred. I wanted that you know that feeling that of danger, and anarchy and they were almost pucks posse. You know, they were the ones doing, manipulating, tormenting, torturing the lovers, creating the forest, because how do you move this, this? Unless you're in a real forest out there where you move from one location to another, on the stage you you have to create the artifice. So the children were great because they became, they transformed, and ultimately they became the children of the court with their little white dresses. And that worked, and then having Catherine Hunter, who I think is okay, Man. exactly.
0: Like you know, I, I had I was not familiar with her, and and I was transfixed by her and the the androgyny yeah. of it, which I think is puck anyway, you know. But the androgyny of her of her performance, the leg sticking straight yeah. up, the unusual, just the, the the sheer, yeah, the yeah, the thing with her arm, right? She's. Like yeah. and and I uh, just the sheer unusual power of that. But she's not doing anything that's like weird. The thing that I loved about it, it was like it, it just felt to me like well this is what a person like this is what Puck does. Yeah. Puck's not trying to freak you out right now. This is just what Puck does. Putting puts yeah. the arm up and or does the leg straight every time. But it seemed graceful and natural and like it uh, like it was meant to be. And that was the thing about that performance that caught Blew my mind is how you can be that odd and yet seem that natural and so human and, and so, human and so
1: emotional. Mm-hmm. Did you see so the behind this, the, the scenes thing? Oh man, did, did you see the little 15 no, no, minute? No, no, no. 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 You have it, right? I have it, but I don't. Now you'll like it because, well, you would have liked it, yeah. but now you'll get it because you're gonna you're gonna hear about their improvisation. David Harewood and Catherine, she had a brilliant idea. I'm gonna let you watch that, yeah. but watch that because it it really they talk. I have the four Max, Tina Benko, they all talk about yeah. their parts. Um, I talk a lot about the play, so if you miss something <laughs> here, and the children yeah. talk. Um, but I think Catherine is the greatest actor, really, for me on the stage right now. You know, she has played King Lear. She's the only female in London. Is that? Yeah, right. she played King Lear. She's in New York right now, opening a Peter Brook play at Theater for a New Audience. Is
0: she? She's I'm going not. To New York. She's.
1: Went, she's. She? It's opening this week. I forgot what it's called, but it's at. You'll look it up. It's. It's opening this week. Yeah. Uh, it was in London. Right. It's being coming to to New York. Right now, today, reason she's not here is she has a play she directed in London opening today. Wow. So, she's not a movie actress yeah. because no one has figured it out yet. I'm like going, okay, what can I do? What can I figure out? Because
0: well, the, the, the only movie credit is uh, Harry, one Potter. Of the Harry Potter movies. because she's this be strange, strange, strange creature.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But the woman is the most versatile. I'd seen her in five or six shows, and I uh, year before I did this, I said Jeffrey, if I could get Catherine Hunter to play Puck, I'll do it yeah. because that's that. For a director, that these the fairies and Puck are the biggest question marks. How are you going to create that world? The mechanicals doing them local, New York. Fewer in England, they would be local, Hampstead or Liverpool or what. You know, you would you'd naturally want to make them familiar because mostly clowns in Shakespeare, the jesters, the clowns, the tricksters. They are the ones who are the closest to the audience. You know, they're the ground the groundlings get them. So that was. When I did a reading of it, Max Casella was reading Bottom, and he was reading it not with a thick accent, and none of them were. And at the intermission of our reading, there was nobody there, it was just me to hear the play. I said, you know, guys, where are you from? Oh, I'm from Queens. Please, you might be from Ireland, but do your Queens accent, do your Bronx, do your Brooklyn, do, and and the whole thing came alive. Because I think Shakespeare intended it in his day to have that local sound, you know? Do
0: you think that a lot of directors uh, are too precious with the material. I mean, we see reimaginings all the Shakespeare in modern dress. And right, was, right. Kevin Spacey did uh, King Lear recently. Richard,
1: know, the, third, Richard yeah.
0: the Third. Yeah. Right. And you know that's what, but I I do find that that and not those particular productions I'm speaking of, but often it's, it, we're a little too precious with this material as though it's not a living thing, as though, it, as though it's I a think, document from... I think you know, people form. think
1: that, and that's what frightens them from right. she- They're frightened of that, and they're frightened that the language will be too hard. But why I think film is so great for Shakespeare, the difference between... You would enjoy it in live theater. You know, the kids who came loved it, because it was the pillow fights, theatrical stripping, you know, not just that. They got it. But on film... You have close ups. So now you're actually, this is where film is better than the theater. I put the cameras with four days shooting, four live, and the four day time uh, of shooting pickups and handheld and steady cam. You now are in all the best positions in the house 70 hours worth. And then I edited like a normal movie. A lot of those National Theater Lives and all of those, they don't, because they're live, they don't have the kind of time to. Work it. There's no visual effects in the movie. Not a one. It's all live. It's all done from, from the production. But we're in positions that no audience could be. So now you're getting the support of the close-up, which means you can understand it when you see the facial expression and the lips moving. You don't need to know what the word is. I found that in Titus. I, don't, I still don't know what a weeping Welkin is, but when, shi- when Anthony Hopkins says it, I get it. Yeah. You could turn the, the, even in this movie, you could turn off the dialogue and you would know what's going on. That's that visual, physical, that's the other side of it. If you have talking heads, just talking Shakespeare on a bare stage, it's fine, but you're demanding the audience to really, you know, in live theater, to really, really work hard. And I think with film, you get the Orson Welles movies are extraordinary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. His Othello, unbelievable. It's and, great. And not dated. That's not the, at that's all. The, 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 well, Shakespeare doesn't date. Why doesn't Shakespeare date? Because he is more daring and more shocking than any contemporary writer.
0: No, absolutely, but I think like Franco Zeffirelli's uh, Romeo and Juliet has dated. Mm. You know, I mean, the, the, the material hasn't. But no, the, the, the style of the it is. Kind of
1: I agree with you. Um, and probably, I think Baz Lerman's was wonderful and yeah. maybe it's dated too, I don't know. Yeah, but but it, I think that if there's a truth to it, you know in Zeffirelli's what hasn't dated is the beauty of Olivia Hussey, yeah, That yeah. that doesn't that date. Do that. Maybe a little bit of the look of it, if you get great charisma and great acting. Um, the reason I don't, didn't, I didn't really, I didn't, I don't update my films. I mean, even even Titus is not updated. What and Midsummer's a bit the same. The costumes are a blend of time. Like, look at Hermia. Yeah. I love what Constance Hoffman did, but Alexander McQueen w- is using ruffles from Elizabethan with short. You know what I mean? It's this. I I encourage my designers, if I'm not designing, that character is what you're designing for. So you have Hermia in this princessy, high-waisted dress, and you have Helena in the low, because she doesn't think she's that pretty, right? So the dresses and the costumes are about the character, and that doesn't date then, because we have the ability to transcend many time periods. So, it, it, the same in The Tempest. It was a blend of time. You had t-shirts with, with um, jeans, yeah. but you had doublets. Right. And all the guys who looked at Sandy Powell's costumes for The Tempest said, I want to wear that. That's the coolest, with zippers yeah, yeah. creating. So I prefer to approach Shakespeare's periods in that way, to find what's appropriate for the character and, this, and, and that particular scene. Um, that's why he's contemporary for all time. In his day, if you looked at engravings of Titus Andronicus, you will see pantaloons, Elizabethan pantaloons with togas. Right, right. And it's not a history play. He uses Greek mythology mixed with pre-Christian thought, mixed with Christianity, mixed with Elizabethan philosophy or uh, politis- pol- uh, political philosophy. So. We do the same, you know, it's, it's so human. His stories, he's done 900 screenplays. No, movies, excuse me. But he's the most prolific screenwriter of our time. And when you see the Kurosawa or the Russian, they're not in Shakespeare's language, but because his stories are so rich, they're really the, in the Western world, they are the, the, the foundation for everything.
0: Well, you mentioned 900 movie adaptations wonder if it was A Midsummer Night's Dream. There's one of the most famous movie credits of all time. It was written by William Shakespeare with additional dialogue by, and yeah. I can't remember, he just get you know, a random name. I think it might have been the Mickey Rooney uh, version of A Midsummer,
1: Midsummer The Night. Max Reinhardt, did they add language Apparently, to it? Certainly, yeah. But you know, with the groundlings, you, in our version, I mean, with the clowns, the rude mechanicals, there's stuff that's said there that's not, well, but they would have been improvised. Yeah,
0: well, see, that's the thing. That's what I mean about being a little too precious. Yeah,
1: no, I agree. I, I do a lot of improvisation. Catherine Hunter's improvising stuff. And also, having Puck at the top of the film, that's not in the script. Right. But because Puck ends it with the line that yeah. you know, if we shadows the dependent, I I felt that Puck had to be the bookends to it, and Puck in our, this version plays Philostrate or Philistrate with the glasses because. You know you're investigating the script and all oh, there are billions of holes in Shakespeare because they were meant they were not really written down when he did it well, yeah, not like they were improvised it. I'm sure that they the, each actor brought their own version and in his day and closer to his day they cut and slashed and pasted you know there was not that reverence like oh I'm gonna do the full four hour <laughs> I I this is two hours and 20 minutes or so but I'm, I mean the real play would probably take three or four hours. Um, Titus I cut in half.
0: Yeah, because that's really long.
1: Really long, right, yeah. and it's a, it was, to me, Titus was a, a pearl in an oyster, you know. it You needed to take away some of it to actually see that pearl. It worked better, shorter. That's not saying Shakespeare didn't do his job, it's just in those days it was, let's write it, let's get it up yeah. there, and yeah. the actors made it happen. So with the clowns and the comedic actors, it is commedia. It is they're not even in verse. You know, so so you must allow these actors to improvise. Russell Brand and Alfred Molina, if you ever want to have a ball, really. Did you see The Tempest with Helen yes. Mirren? Yeah. Okay, did you ever see Russell's riff online? No. Okay, write it down. Russell's riff. It's a three minute improv by Russell Brand on our first rehearsal when I stuck a little camera and I said, so Mr. Brand, Mr. Trinculo, tell me about yourself. And he went on a tangent that is the most genius. It's better than Shakespeare. <laughs> it, it, but he didn't want, he would not stray from the Shakespeare when we did the movie because he didn't want people to accuse him of not being able to do it. But. It's the most. The other thing he did was something that's online called Russell Branded Shakespeare, where I interviewed him as Shakespeare. Ah. And it's
0: thoroughly enjoyable. I'll have a look.
1: He's such a smart guy, Russell.
0: Sharp. Really really sharp. sharp. Yeah. Uh, we are out of time, but, okay. I, I, but I, I tell you so where I started with all this. So the first time I, I see Midsummer Night's Dream, I'm this big, Right. and I went to a place called the Neptune Theatre in Liverpool, in Halifax, Nova Scotia. John Neville was the artistic director because it was in the probably early '70s. British actors weren't getting the work that they once were in theater in yeah. Britain. Something they, know, they came here, no money, and they all came here, and they went to places like Nova Scotia and Calgary and like tiny little theaters, but. You know, the government was like, oh "My God, well, John Neville wants to come here and direct," and poured money at them. And so I saw him do Othello. I saw him. I saw. I mean, I saw this this towering figure of, you know, do all these amazing plays. But my memory of falling in love with theater, theater was seeing Puck come down from the theater, from the from the the roof, and it changed everything for me. It, it, Isn't it, that beautiful? Yeah, it changed everything for me. And I remember that moment. And when I saw it again in your film, but then the you know does that thing I was like that's even more spectacular (laughs) if I was 10 years old today yeah yeah zip right up so cool right you know I was like if I was 10 years old today I you know that would
1: well we've had that that. the 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 kids I'm very excited for kids when they see this as well as adults but you know it's it's for everybody I hope
0: That was Julie Taymor talking about A Midsummer Night's Dream and her production of it on the big screen, as well as on the stage, Uh, get a chance to see this, make time to see this. It really is beautiful. And the performance that really stood out for me was from Catherine Hunter. She plays Puck in this. Now, as we mentioned in the interview, you don't get a chance to see her on the big screen or even the small screen very often. She really is primarily a stage actor. Uh, But look at Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix. She's in that. She's on the television show Rome. Uh, Find a way to see this woman's work by any means necessary. She is a tremendous actor, and you'll enjoy it. We got some sad news at the House of Krauss last week. Michael Nyckfist passed away. Now, he was an actor that, if you saw the Millennium series, that's the original Swedish, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, Girl with the Dot 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 movies, you would have seen him as Mikael Blumquist. He was uh, one of the stars of that movie. That's really the the series of films that made him an international star. He had already been a star of stage and screen in Sweden. Uh, He went on to make more American films like Mission Impossible, Ghost Protocol. Uh, He was in John Wick. And he passed away last week after a year-long battle with lung cancer. We wish the best to his family. Uh, we remember him now with the conversation that I had with him probably about six years ago, maybe seven years ago, uh, just as the whole Girl with the Dragon Tattoo phenomenon was ramping up and preparing to steamroll its way right into the very center of North American popular culture. The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Had you read the books before you were approached to star in the film?
2: No, I didn't. There was such a fuss about the books and I thought, oh, everybody reads it. I don't have to. Uh, I stick to my Marcel Proust or something like that. And uh, then they called me and they said, do you want to play Michael? And I said, "Mm, perhaps. I was so afraid I should turn out to be a commercial junk, more or less, you know? Uh, So, But then I met uh, the director... And just in three seconds, I found out that he, he's serious. He wants to do something serious about this. And uh, he started to tell me about stories, and I felt, oh, this is good stuff. Mm-hmm. So I bought three books, and I, had them, I read them, I think, in, in one and a half a week or
0: something.
2: <laughs> so Extremely magnetic
0: it is. Well, the the role of Michael in the film, uh, or in the books, I guess, is such an iconic role now because these books have been bestsellers all over the world. Was there any nerves attached to playing a role that people have such preconceptions about?
2: Yeah, it was a little bit like, you know, that was the thing I was afraid about, to be honest, in Mm -hmm. the beginning. So I felt like, is this ass to play in a Harry Potter thing, you know? Right. Like, I had 50 million people read my script before we started. So, and then I found out. Um, perhaps I can see that as a challenge. Perhaps I can do something else about it. Mm-hmm. Perhaps I can uh, put add something to it. You know.
0: Now, was it always intended that you would star in all three of the films? Yeah. Yes.
2: It was. That was the contract, and uh, otherwise it would be very strange.
0: Right. Right.
2: It was a trilogy? Yeah.
0: Now, um, tell me a little bit about why you think that these books are so popular all over the world, and now that the movies, because the movie uh, The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo is already out in Sweden, right?
2: Yeah.
0: And it's been a big hit over there.
2: Yeah, everywhere, you know, where we go out, just hilarious. I don't know. (laughs) Uh, So. Uh, when I think what it, what it is, it's in the books and in the films, also it's like it's a little bit anarchistic in a way that you can change your life, the society you live in, uh, not by bombs, but with a pen or a cell phone or a computer, you can turn things to be better. Right. And that's, that's that kind of that power you feel with it. You know, when you read it, you, you go into this char, this characterization as he. He thought was so important for a democracy, and uh because he had, he had a mission about that, mm-hmm. that was his thing and uh I think that is the major thing uh on the other hand, it's a little bit of our dreams, like if you could take this free sex thing as they have right this is what we want to live in, but not with your wife. <laughs> <laughs> you know it's it's kind of what we thought were so easy you know in the 60s and 70s yes well and also it is uh, that you don't judge people you know because we don't like that but we even do that every day and and, uh, and that's the one of the major subjects like don't judge people they can really surprise you you can Take, you know, yeah,
0: whatever. Well, you really see you really see that in the Lisbeth character and in Michael's character as well. But uh, with yeah. Lisbeth, she has, I think, this incredible story arc that uh, makes her uh, such a, a fascinating character. Yeah, she's
2: has the sickness of Asperger, and uh, she's a little bit like a. Laura Croft with uh, a computer. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, this is a, a, a very Swedish film. I'm talking about The, the Girl with the Dragon Tattoo now. Uh, but it's also very violent in parts. Um, yeah. do, how do you feel that uh, American audiences and, and North American audiences will react?
2: If I take these Scorsese films, they're very violent. And uh, I think the violence you're used to in the world to see from mm-hmm. films what it's about, it, it's violence that is kind of a violence that you don't want to see. It's not two bandits fighting, it's right. uh, violence against women, it's, mm-hmm. um, things like that, that we try to, well, violence against uh, kids also, you know? Yes. Uh,
0: well, I, 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 really, uh, I, I was really taken with the film. I, I found that even though it was uh, two and a half hours long, there's not a moment yeah. in which I wasn't sitting on the edge of my seat.
2: Oh, great, thank you. Yeah, yeah. Now, and I hope you don't have a bad back. with no.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, I I feel okay. I'd sit through it again, no problem. Now, these um, movies, uh, there's three films in the series, and they were made in very quick succession. How, as an actor, did you find that influenced the performance that you were able to give as Michael? Uh, oh,
2: just, <laughs> uh, can, you, can you
0: give me your question so, again? Sorry. The, these films were made in, in very quick yeah. succession. There's three films now. Um, yeah. Did you find that the character of Michael changed over the, the arc of the three films? He or does,
2: He does. And he does it in the script, too. Because in film number two and three, he gets more and more paranoid. Mm-hmm. Uh, because he gets self... He drags into his own story, in a way. Right. So, yeah.
0: Now, I, I've heard, and I'll, I'll let you go uh, uh, after just one last question, I've, I've no, heard that cool. th- that there's going to be an American remake of this film, which I don't really think is a great idea, I have to tell you, but who could you imagine playing Michael in an American remake? Uh,
2: the one I can see for myself is George Clooney, to be honest. Right,
0: yeah. right, right.
2: Because he has this... Uh, when he does things, I can feel that he goes into things not just for the money, he's with his whole heart, and uh, I think he has a mission in a way, what kind of film he chose and all that.
0: That was the voice of Michael Nyquist, the late, great Swedish actor. You know him as the star of the Swedish Dragon Tattoo movies. Uh, he was much more than that, a stage actor, uh, an intellectual. He'd rather be home reading Proust than reading the Dragon Tattoo books. Although he said he liked those two, I remember from the interview, but he was a fascinating guy and uh, the acting world is just a little bit of an emptier place without him. Thanks to Truly Taymor for swinging by. Thanks to you for coming by every week. We know you have to carve out a chunk of time to come visit at the House of Kraus. You wanna come in, spend some time, kick back because it's always cool to be here. There's always something fun going on here. We love having you come every week. We'd love to have you come back. So come back every Monday. We put a new show up every single week. You never know who's gonna stop by for a visit, and who knows, it just might be one of your favorite people. So come by and see us.